Welcome to the Produce Industry Podcast, your weekly download on current events, trends, market reports, and community discussions. Join us each week from Tampa, Florida, as we cover all aspects of the produce supply chain industry. Ladies and gentlemen, here's your host, Patrick Kelly. Hey, produce people, welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Kelly. As always, I am honored to be here, coming to you live from Tampa, Florida. Today is November 20th, 2023, everyone, and we are just about 45 days out until the end of the year. What do you got planned, everyone? New Year's is coming just around the corner. Now, a couple announcements before we get started today. I am actually in the Dominican Republic. We pre-recorded this episode just so you can get it as fast as possible. I will be back on November 22nd from the DR with our Blue Missions trip, and we will have a fresh podcast with some of the trekkers of the hike. And let's not forget about the elephant in the room. It's Thanksgiving on Thursday, everyone. Now, with the clean eating challenge that I am, I'm really going for more fruits and vegetables in every dish, every holiday season. So don't worry, I will be consuming pumpkin and apple pie to make sure I get all my fruits and vegetables this Thanksgiving. And then last, the first week of December, we got the New York Produce Show that I am still trying to attend and hopefully we'll be walking the show and going on the Paul Manfrey Tour. Now, let's talk about our featured guest of today, Liz Sertle of GS1 USA. Now, she is the Senior Director of Community and Engagement here at GS1 US. Now, the not-for-profit information standards organization has more than 20 years' experience in the CPG industry. Now, Liz facilitates, collaborates all best practices and guidelines and helps the company improve product traceability. Now, she is going to talk all about GS1 industry data, strategies, master data product, and all about the GS1 standards and where it is moving to in the future that affects your business, everyone. So, as I say, let's go ahead and get this episode started. Hey, Liz, welcome to the show today. Hey, it's so good to be here. It's amazing. And listen, it has taken not just a couple of weeks, like maybe a month or two. No, it's taken a few months to make this happen. I can tell you, listen, when you're involved in food safety, as Liz is, things are crazy, right? Schedules are crazy. Schedules are hectic. And then on my side, the same thing. So it, it took us a few months to get together. And I'm glad we did. What's so interesting, Liz, is that since we've scheduled this call, I've had two other food safety organizations reach out, you know, just asking, hey, has anybody talked to you about food safety? I said, well, get ready because we're about to start talking about it. And even then, like GS1, when when we're going to go over this, everyone, because if you're if you're just tuning into the podcast. And you're thinking, oh, great, food safety. What are we talking about here, Liz? I got to have you just give a 30,000 foot quick overview. Like, what does someone have to think about when they think GS1 or or food safety? I mean, what is like dial codes like 10 4 over and out, right? Like, (laughs) yeah, kind of. So, GS1 is a standards organization. And when I say that in a room of people, people literally, their eyes glaze over. It is like, oh my God, we're talking about a global standard. But every one of the listeners, today has interacted with a GS1 standard because a GS1 standard is the barcode. So when you're at point of sale at your grocery store, your convenience store, that beep, that is powered by GS1 standards. And so way back in 1974, the barcode was invented to streamline 
online processes. And since then, it has just gone kind of all over the map from a supply chain perspective. And I won't bore you with the details, but it really enables traceability from beginning to end of a supply chain. And when you have traceability, food safety is one of those benefits that you get to. Listen, I'm going to throw this back old school. Like she said it, everyone. And if you are as young as I am, stop when you hear the beep. Think about the fun you can have on Supermarket Sweep. Like, think about the Supermarket Sweep <laughs> back in the day. We can, we, can, we can come up with a whole commercial for GS1. Stop when you hear the beep. GS1, food safety. We're coming, right? Look <laughs> so, at you. Look at you. I just like, stop when you hear the beep. You know, one of those <laughs> things when I used to watch TV with my mom in the uh, you know, late 80s, early 90s, you know. So, you know, but that's good. I mean, good to know about GS1 and what's happening, right? Because when people pick up that orange, right, or that apple on the shelf, I don't think they pay too much attention, you know, to that barcode or even to the code that's on it, right? There's yep. so many things with that that is on this. And I'll be real with you, you know, the first time I ever experienced like a recall. And maybe you know this. Do you remember that it was the Jensen cantaloupe case back in like 2007, where a bunch of people got sick from, you know, listeria and cantaloupes. And I didn't really understand it. But even as a broker, like they made us get food safety requirements and, and, and recall and traceability. And we were like, I'm a broker. Like we just, we just handle product through a grower. That's all we do. But there's, you know, Latest recalls I saw, you know, with food, right? Not just produce, but you got the stuffed pepper soup with meatball recall. You had public alerts at, you know, Kirkland's signature ready to eat ham products, right? The undeclared coconut and the milk. Like there, you, you see these headlines and you're like, what does this have to do with me? Yeah. Why should I, like, should I even worry about these things? Right? Yeah. And you do as a consumer, right? Have to worry about it because we eat food every single day. Wait right? a minute. We eat food? Hold on. Every, Stop. Dude. Every day, every single day, we go to the grocery store, we go to restaurants, and we're really lucky that overall we have safe food. But man, it's really important to have that traceability in the supply chain. So when there is the cantaloupe, when there is the lettuce, that you can get it out. It was really interesting when I was getting ready for this conversation. There was more than 420 recalls, food recalls, last year in 2022. 420 different kinds of food that had to come to the shelf. Yeah, right? Like that's a lot. And we take a lot of it for granted. And the government, yes, they have taken action and they're, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, but there's this thing called FISMA, Food Safety Modernization Act. You don't even have to remember what that is, but they're starting to get in place of, okay, there's a lot of food that needs to come out of a supply chain, but man, we don't know where it is. How do we as a supply chain try to understand where something is and then how to get it out. Because once a distributor sends something to a store, that's kind of a black hole right now. And it's really important to understand where it is and how to get it out of supply chain. That consistency and standardization, there isn't any right now from a data perspective. We talk about the barcode. We talk about the global trade item number. Don't need to know what that is either. That's a little number under the barcode. That's used a lot. But when you have different kinds of data and different kinds of numbers saying the same thing, it's really a stressful situation when you get the phone call on a Friday afternoon saying, we've got a problem with the spinach and it needs to come out and we think it's in the Southeast. That's not very tactical, right? You can't Mm. surgically get food off of a shelf that way. And that's what we need to start thinking about is how do we surgically say, this is where that product started. This is where that product ended. And let's get it off of the shelf. The other stress that we have in a produce space and a fresh food space is by the time we know somebody's sick, 
maybe off the shelf. So how do we get to know faster? what the issues are. That's that's very true. And you know, as you as you speak about this so passionately and I was looking at some of the, you know, the food safety documents online, you know, was there any specific event that is like really really fast forwarded this pace, right? Like I said the 2007 Jensen case. I remember that because at the time I was importing watermelons, cantaloupes, honeydews and when that happened i'll be real with you like we 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 stopped a lot of that right like yeah. it was like holy cow yeah. so what specific or recent events have really propelled this food safety even though it's been a, i mean i can remember this all the way back to 2005 2007 right then when it was just really not starting, but it was like people like you have to implement this, right? Right. Like- well, I think so. I think there's a lot of things. I think we know about it more because we've got internet and we've got a lot of different ways to get news. But there's been so many widespread food safety scares. Spinach in 2006. So that's right about the time you were talking about. And then romaine. And it feels like romaine two years in a row right before Thanksgiving had problems. Nobody had like a Caesar salad, right? For those couple years. And I think that while food safety has been super important from a government perspective, traceability, the implementation of it. There was a lot of people talking about it and and some people really are ahead of the game. But I think that when you start getting the news and people start being way more aware that this is a problem, that's when that is going to put food safety front and center and all across the supply chain from the farm down to whether you're at a grocery store or at a restaurant, people are starting to pay attention. And they want more information, right? So what the heck am I eating? You know, you talk about all that transparency. What the heck am I eating? I don't go to a restaurant and say, is the food safe? I'm making an assumption there. So restaurants need to, you know, we all need to just be more. They need to up their game. Listen, I'm one of those weird people. I'll be like, this fresh? This local? They'll be like, I'm like, you hand squeeze. Listen, I'll, my wife, like, she loves going to, she loves date night with me, but it's very interesting depending on what restaurant I pick. And I eat very different compared to others, right? And so as I go in, I'll straight ask, I'm like, the Brussels sprouts you guys have, I'm like, imported. I'm like, where do those come from? And they're like, I'll check for you. I'm like, awesome. Thank you. I'm like, also, real quick, I'm like, have you changed the oil today on any of the fried foods as well? And my wife's always like, before she was like, okay, you're crazy. I ask this now because I have stomach issues, right? I've had my gallbladder removed. I am, my large intestines is a little bit longer than the average male. So there's things that with my body that if I eat fried food, that the oil has been sitting there since 6am this morning and they've had fries in it and they've had shrimp in it and they've had zucchini fries in it, right? That'll hurt my stomach, right? So like what we put in our bodies is very important to me. And I stopped making the assumption that the restaurants knew what they were doing, right? So I started asking the questions. And what's interesting is you get to meet the manager really fast when you start asking those questions in restaurants. But what happened is you then I tell my story like, hey, you know, I'm not a foodie. I'm not I'm not here to dock you. I go, but I need to know that I'm not going to leave throwing up, right? Yeah. I need to leave knowing that this food is the right. And there's even companies that I'll call out and be like, is this bagged meat? Did you buy this from a distributor that has bagged meat? Right? Or did you bring this fresh in from the local meat market? We brought it in fresh. Well, okay. Well, now I'm going to look at the the pork, right? Versus if it was at one of those other distributors that they have bagged meat or bagged produce and they're delivering on a consistency of shelf life versus fresh, right? So listen, I love what you're saying because I think it is up to the consumers to ask those questions too. Because again, look what you said. 
Pat, normally we don't know about it until after somebody is already sick. Yep. Consumers have to do the right thing too and ask questions about their food, right? We do make that assumption so many times. And my wife saw, and I am the guy, my brother used to hate going out to eat with me, Liz, because I'd order a salad and I'd get my salad. If it had any brown leaves, any sogginess to it, I would, I would tell them, hey, got to take this back. And they'd go, I'm like, I'm in fresh produce. I want to enjoy what I am about to eat here. And you just gave me wilted leaves with yeah. soggy tomatoes. And they're like, wow, I'll come right back. And you know, normally I get a nice fresh salad, but it's obviously respect, right? But that's it, right? It, it's even on the side of business, people. I said that story for a reason, because if you can consciously make the decision to ask a question to a consumer in a restaurant style, you should be doing the same for your business as well, right? That conscious decision to say, I need to do what's right for the people that are going to put this in my in their mouth, whether it's hard skin, soft skin, or you just have to cook it. Right, Liz? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and there's so many conversations that you alluded to, too, that are starting to really come up from a food safety perspective. And I think that there is a lot more awareness around it from a business perspective. And I mean, <laughs> it's the double-edged sword because you want people to talk about it, but man, there's a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. But, but I remember I, meet, I, I met a gentleman in 2000, it was like five or six. And back when food safety was really getting into citrus packing houses. And I remember he, he also ran the packing house and he sold too, but he was always complaining, all oh, these food safety people thinking they could just come in and out of my shed and blah, blah, blah. And it's crazy to see where it's gone, but people resisted it so much. But like you said, but they wouldn't resist putting a filet mignon in their mouth, not knowing where it came from, right? Yeah, not absolutely. knowing if that beef came from another country, came right? It didn't matter to them, right? Yeah, yep, so I think yep. it does. And then, you know, you told me not to remember what FSMA, you know, was, but, you know, the Food Safety Modernization Act has been around for, for a long time, right? Yeah. Yep. And it, it, it keeps getting brought up because I think that things keep changing to it, right? We're updating it and, and we constantly, people don't understand, right? Change is a good thing and, and change happens fast. It happens swift. And sometimes it doesn't tell you, right? It just happens. Break it down for me. Like FISMA yep. 204. Like I know yep. we're, we're, we're going into a new era. Where did it come yep. from? Why is it here? Should it be alive? What prototypes <laughs> are on it? Like, I don't even know anymore at this point. I just know FISMA, right? Like FISMA. that's all I know. <laughs> food Safety Modernization Act. There's a lot around Food Safety Modernization Act. I don't know all of the ins and outs of all of it, except for rule 204, which is why we're, why we're really here today. So that rule was finalized and it goes into effect in January of 2026, which may seem like it's a hot second away, but it really is because it will require stakeholders that touch food in the supply chain to keep more detailed records with more robust data. So they're going to have to maintain data in their systems for two years. Some may already be doing that. That's cool. But you're going to need to do that. And they're going to start talking about these data points in a different way. So right now I'm going to say key data element and critical tracking event. If you are going to be anywhere around the rule, people are going to just start talking about CTEs and KDEs and assume you know what they are. So the critical tracking events are things that happen in the supply chain. They happen today. Harvest, things get moved around the supply chain, shipping, they're received, so it's receiving, 
and, and it just moves to the supply chain, the key data elements, it's just the data that goes with it. So people are starting to get a lot of angst. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's a little bit different way of thinking. These are already things that are happening in the supply chain. So it's just a little more specified way of grabbing that information and tracking it and keeping the information within your four walls. There's also the requirement for a traceability plan, which just outlines what the heck you're talking about, who needs to be contacted in case of a question, and how you're looking at all those records and how you're kind of, quote, proving that you're keeping them for your whole business. And then you mentioned the food traceability list. So that's another term that folks will start hearing. FTL is thrown around, but that's the food traceability list. They used to call it high-risk food. So if you're familiar with that, (laughs) now it's called the FTL. That is things like cucumbers, herbs, leafy greens, melons, peppers, sprout, tomatoes, all of those different things that people eat today. But it's tricky because something like an avocado is not on the FTL, but you cut it up and it is. So you have to pay very special and close attention. If you have any kind of food in and around produce, I would say really scour that rule on the FDA website and figure out if your food is on the food traceability list, included if it's cut or if it's an ingredient. It gets really gray really quick. So FSMA is coming. There's a lot of conversations around it right now. It's one of our hot topics, as you can imagine, from a produce perspective, especially. And it's amazing to think about, everyone. I want you to really think about some of the things about the FISMA 204. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back. We're going to talk about why was the rule put in place? You know, get a little bit more prepared and compliance under it, see what we're doing, and why should companies start doing this in order to meet the deadline? And when is the deadline, right? So let's take a quick break hear from some of those sponsors and get right back to talking all things GS1, sustainability, traceability, and how to be prepared. Discover orchard freshness on Amazon Fresh with Arctic Apple Slices. Arctic Apples stays orchard fresh longer than other prepackaged, pre-sliced apples. This means less waste and no more half-eaten apples. Plus, you'll love the undeniable freshly picked flavor. Arctic Apple Slices are available in convenient grab-and-go bags in both Arctic Golden or Arctic Granny varieties in select markets on Amazon Fresh. Packable, snackable, 100% irresistible. In the heat of summer, you're just counting the days until cooler weather and all those fabulous fall flavors. Packed with a refreshing flavor everyone loves, Noble Florida Starburst Pomelos, the largest citrus on earth, and the perfect sweet fall treat you've been waiting for. Perfectly ripe for a limited time. Look to noblecitrus.com on where to purchase your next Noble Florida Starburst Pomelos. JGLC, the place to be, a third-generation, family-owned and operated asset-based company. Throughout their 60 years in business, integrity, reliability, and loyalty to their customers has remained their top priority. JGLC guarantees 24-7 communication with your personal logistics coordinator. They offer competitive pricing without sacrificing services. They operate throughout the United States and Canada. JGLC's customers count on them for dependability and dedication carried out on every order, every time. 60 years of service for all your trucking needs. Visit them at jglc.com for your custom quote. 
Are you ready to enhance your skills? Every day we are tasked to make fast, effective decisions to keep up with the fast-paced produce industry. At AgTools, we take the pressure off of gathering data to help make your day easier and more enjoyable. Connecting the supply chain with AgTools is unique, practical, and easy. Ag tools can be used from multiple angles of the produce industry from farmers all the way to logistics companies. We call that 360 degree decision making day after day. Visit us at www.agtechtools.com to gain more reliable and relevant data to see more, achieve more. And now back to our show. Welcome back to the Produce Industry Podcast, everyone. It's always great to hear from Dynamite sponsors creating Dynamite content for the produce and supply chain industry. Today, we are talking all things GS1. That's right, that little label, that barcode that you see on all your produce items, everyone. We're talking sustainability. We're talking traceability. We're talking what you can do to be prepared if a recall happens and not just after the fact. If you were just tuning in, most recalls happen after the fact because they do not know exactly when it happens or it takes the amount of time to get the product removed from the shelf. So everyone, let's welcome back our guest, Liz. Hey. Great to have you. It has been an amazing conversation to say the least because bringing this information to the market in a way that gets them excited is is tough, right? I mean, we want to talk about, wait a minute, we don't want to hear about that. This is our industry. We don't want to talk about that pepper recall. We don't want to talk about how there's (laughs) listeria in kale and romaine, right? We want to talk about how all of our fruit and veggies are diamonds. They're all beautiful babies that we love to sell, right? I say this, it's in my sales pitch when I sell citrus, but this is a big thing that's happening, right? And, And if you're just tuning in, we're talking about the global supply chain when it comes to FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act. And and Liz, as we get back into talking about this, let's jump right into it. Why the heck was this rule put into place? Why do we need 204? Why did this come about? Like, are we going to, is there going to be a 205, 206, 207? Like, (laughs) what is going on for us as an industry to really grasp here? Gosh, I hope there's not a 205, 6, 7, and 8. No. (laughs) That's what I said. (laughs) Curse me now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not even funny, dude. So the food traceability, final rule, FISMA 204. It was designed to facilitate faster identification and the more rapid removal of that potentially contaminated food from the market. That's just a fast way to say we need to know where products are in the supply chain so that if something bad happens and we need to get them out, we can absolutely get them out of the supply chain. And it's not just saying I've got a bad something. I've got a bad commodity that needs to be totally pulled from the shelves. We need to know exactly where it is. And we need to figure out what that issue is from a root cause perspective so that it doesn't necessarily happen again. That's the truth, right? We don't want it to happen again and again. And I and I am. I was you know, kidding about 205 and 206 and 207. But I also said we have to do things right as a community to make sure of things, right? That's the biggest importance. So as we might joke about that, it is up to our community to keep up with these standards, right? To keep up with these guidelines and constantly, constantly, continually improve, right? Yep. That's one yep. thing that we have to look at. Continually yep. improvement, right? Yep. Absolutely. They're safe. So you've just given me this amazing segue. (laughs) No, stop it. You have, you have. So if you've gone to a restaurant recently, or you've looked at the back of 
maybe a consumer packaged good product, you've seen that 2D barcode, as we call it, but QR code, right? And this information can have a lot of different really cool things that it can enable. You're a consumer, you scan the back of a soda can, there's something called smart label. It can take you to all of the different information that is available about that product. Allergens, nutritionals, cool things like that. 2D barcodes can help fuel that next wave of food safety efforts too. It's not just consumer engagement, but it could provide provide instant access to that product data so that you know where something is when. So 2D barcodes right now are used, but they're not used when you start thinking about produce a whole lot. Although we've been talking to folks about, man, it would be really cool to be able to tell this story of this whatever produce, this mango or this citrus fruit, where it came from and where it's been. And a 2D barcode can really enable that because it gives the ability to start start linking to different pieces of data. The 1D barcode that we see going at the grocery store, that just has a number. That's just simply a number that says I'm product 123. But a 2D barcode can do all these things plus more, especially when you start thinking about, like I said, food safety and allergens. So as consumers continue to want more data and more transparency along supply chains, I want everybody to just kind of think, man, if I'm a producer, what could I do with a 2D barcode? And what kind of information would I want to be encoded in that, that anybody in a supply chain could use? So not just a consumer, but what about a distributor? What kind of information could be encoded in that from a distributor perspective? It's just really fun to start thinking about all of the different use cases because it's not just food safety. There's a lot of other things. Pat, you talked about sustainability. Like what could we do from a sustainability perspective with that extra information and certification information? How would stores more quickly be able to respond to product recalls and identifying those those items on the shelves that need to come out if they could just scan that barcode and know exactly from where it came. You really can get to that serialized product information. I know I am lettuce one, two, three, four from farm, you know, three, four, five. It's really, there's a lot there that can be uncovered and it's really exciting. And while QR codes have been around forever, not forever, I'm totally lying, but they've been around for a while, really, we're just starting to scratch the surface of what we can start doing from a supply chain, food safety, and consumer engagement perspective. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, with everything going on, it definitely makes sense. And with this with this rule or, or this new rule coming into compliance, I mean, there's less than, what, a little under three years yeah. left to prepare yeah. for yeah. this compliance. Yeah. And it listen, everybody, you, you say three years and you're like, ah, forget about it. We got time. Nope. Yeah, I think I said that like five years ago to a few other things. And I'm like looking at the calendar now and going, it's almost 2024, right? It's like, yeah. it's like one of those things. And this is the craziest thing to say it. it it's almost like your birthday, right? And I'm saying this in a way because like my dad's getting older. We're going to have some 70th birthday parties really soon. But it was five years ago. I said, yeah, but in five years, my dad's going to be 70. Now we're looking at it and I'm like, T minus three years and this guy's 70. Like I'm like sitting here going, okay, here we go now. Like, so yeah. I think it's one of those things. So what should companies do to start doing in order to meet this deadline? And, you know, and, and ready, I want you to tell them the deadline, but with that deadline, I, what are the strongest challenges within getting to that deadline? Because we all know there's going to be, it's going oh. to be paperwork. There's going to be a lot of things, right? Yes. So yes. what's the deadline to me when it is to yep. meet? Yep. What, so what should companies be doing? January, 2026. 
which does seem like a hot second away. Hold on, let's all sync our watches yep. like Dick Tracy here. Yeah. We all got the Dick Tracy watches now. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying like, <laughs> that's right around the corner. It is right around the corner. And when you start thinking about all that additional data, conversations with trading partners. Mm-hmm. So what we say, and we're working with different associations too, who have different audiences than we do. Gotcha. Get started now. Do not delay. What products do you have? Do you have as ingredients on the FTL? Like number one. Bring an internal team together. This is not just a food safety conversation. This is your data people. This is your quality people. This is your supply chain people. This is your regulatory people. This is a lot of cross-functional conversations that have to happen and ha- understand how physical data flows. And then most importantly, how digital data flows and then marrying those two, which is not an easy thing to do because data is everywhere and you have to start like really getting an understanding that can take a while. I've done that in a past life. Understand where those gaps are and get involved in conversations, work with your peers, work with solution partners, work with industry associations. There's a ton of people and organizations out there that can help. We have work groups that we have a bunch of different folks coming together and writing guides guidelines to try to make it easier. This is not a competitive advantage. We should all be working together to figure out how to solve the problem because we're all working on behalf of consumers, right? And so that we can all ensure that we're getting safe food when we're going to the store and when we're going to restaurant. But my first advice, do not wait, get started now. Do not wait. So that's going to be oh. the greatest challenge, right? Is, is do not wait, right? Because that's Don't what's going to be it, right? Yep. So what about opportunities though? I mean, what opportunities for produce companies, you know, when they achieve this goal or reach this path, you know, what's out there for them? Oh my gosh. This is just such a like, ch- no, this is going to sound terrible. <laughs> yes. Let's make it sound terrible right now. <laughs> this is like, okay. So a regulation is checking the box. You have to check. Yes. The box, right. 100%. Hey, you got to check the box. So we have to do much, it with everything. Yeah. There's so much more that these folks can get by checking this box. You can get ROI based on supply chain transparency. You can get engagement with your consumers. You can have a more efficient supply chain. You can have sustainability. You'll know that your data is a quality data and you're not wondering, oh gosh, am I sending bad data to my customers, my distributors? There is so much if you really go out and leverage the opportunity and not just check the box. I like that. It made me think about it for a second of just not checking the box because again, we do have to check the box for so yep. many things. Yep. You know, you know, funny story. My son, and I'll tell you about box checking. In each part of our lives, we make decisions, right? And so my my son is half white, half Hispanic, right? My His mom is Hispanic and I am a blonde haired, blue eyed uh, white boy. Okay. And my son looks exactly like me, but when it came time to check his box, he's like, no, I'm Hispanic. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, you good with that, dad? I was like, I'm good with that. I'm like, your mom's Hispanic. Your mom's 100% Hispanic over here, man. Like you are 50-50 at this point. And my wife's all like, we're going to get one of those 23andMe tests to really dive deep into what he is, right? So we can check the box, everyone, right? My son understands that he is Hispanic, right? But we, we're going to dive a little deeper. We're going to get 23andMe. We're going to have him spit. And we are going to break down the data and actually show what he is, right? Yep. And that's no difference between, right? It's crazy as I'm giving these weird life scenarios, right? But it is so true that it, we we got to look at this as a normal everyday life, right? Like I say, explain it to the third grader, right? Yeah. And if you can, yeah. if they can grasp that concept, 
then that's what it is. We can all check a box. We have to check yeah. the boxes, but what are we doing beyond that? Right. Yeah. What are the goals and opportunities that we're putting in place for that? Right. What's possible with what you're doing. Yeah. What, what else can you right? do? Let's get creative. Yeah. I agree with that. Well, Liz, it's been great having you on the show today. Is there anything else you want to throw out uh, to our listeners? Maybe how to get a hold of you, maybe check out the website, you know, how can they yeah. get a hold of the uh, organization if they'd like yeah. to? Yeah. So my um, information, I'm Liz Sertle, E.S. Sertle. E for Elizabeth, because it couldn't be more confusing, right? <laughs> ES Circle at gs1us.org. gs1us.org is the website. We've got a ton of information out there on FISMA. I am lucky enough to co-host our podcast, Next Level Supply Chain. So if anybody wants to go listen to, you know, supply chain topics, we don't always talk about standards. So love to, you know, connect with anybody anytime. I like she was like, we don't always talk about standards, but when we do our podcast, we do. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, it's been great. I love it. I appreciate all the time and effort into this. Everyone, it's about education in the industry. It's about bringing it all together as a community, because if we all thrive together, we grow together. So Liz, thank you so much. And we'll see you in the fields and on the horizon. You've been listening to the Produce Industry Podcast with Patrick Kelly. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Anchor to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at the Produce Industry Podcast. Until next time, see you in the fields or on the horizon.